Today we are starting a new series that I'm really excited for. I just think it's, it's so much fun. We're starting a new series that we are calling Back to School. If you got to go to our Back to School Bash, you saw you know over 500 people were coming through and got free book bags and food and all types of fun stuff. And so uh, we took a lot of those decorations. Can you give it up to Adorn, by the way, for all the great stuff that they put together? And so we, we've kind of been working it out. And so here's how this series is going to work. Every week, we are going to focus in on a theme of a different class. We are going all the way back to school. And I know some of you have favorite classrooms. How many in this room, your favorite class was math? Any math people in here? Y'all are weird. Y'all are weird. Okay. We got the math teacher, obviously. Uh, how many of you, your favorite class was gym? You were amazing at gym. Gym was your jam. Very cool. And you're still athletic today. Look at you. I guess that worked out. How many of you are like history buffs? Like you just really like history? Okay. All right, let's see. How many of you, your best subject, you aced it every year was lunch? How many of you are just amazing at lunch? Yeah. I can always guarantee lunch was the free square on bingo for me, baby. I can always guarantee lunch. And so uh, we're excited about that. So much so that next week we're going to do something special. So I want to kind of give this announcement to you. Next week, we want to honor all of our teachers and administrators. How many know it's been a, a rough couple of years to be an educator, right? It's, it's been difficult, it's been challenging. And so here's what we want you to do. Next week, if you have a friend or a relative who is a teacher or a school administrator, we want you to invite them to church on Sunday. And if you are a teacher or administrator, you better show up next Sunday. One of the things we wanna do is we wanna try to bless you so every teacher is gonna receive a gift on their way out. We wanna make sure that you got that. We're gonna bless a couple of individual teachers. We just wanna honor, love, we wanna pray for our educators because school's gonna be starting, I think, next week after Monday or Tuesday after next Sunday. And so we just wanna take time to pray for our, our schools, to love on our schools, and we're hoping to start doing this every year in August. And so we've already been talking to some of our local schools. Some stuff didn't work out in time this year, but we're already getting the gears ready for next year so that we can go and serve our local schools because how many know those are our schools, right? You may not have gone there, but those are my schools. And so if they're in our community, then they're our responsibility. We want to bless them. We want to pray for them. And so we just want to encourage you. If you are a teacher, an educator, administrator, come on out next week. We're going to receive your card. I might check CPS ID cards just in case. Because um, some of you are like, I'm an educator. It's like, hmm, I don't know about that one. Uh, but again, we want to bless you. And so uh, give us an opportunity to do that. That being said, today's subject. I was not great at, okay? Today's subject, I, I struggled with early on. I got better over time. But today, I want to talk to you about English grammar. Some of you are already cringing about it. How many of you were really good at grammar? How many, all right, how many of you are still those people who annoyingly like, respond to people's texts by correcting their grammar? Okay, that's my wife. If my wife ever texts for, like here, if, I, if you want me to drive my wife nuts, I will text on her phone somebody with a lot of bad grammar and she'll get so irritated. Like it actually bugs her. She'll edit it. She'll go back and change it. She is a stickler for grammar. She has a writer's heart, so that's big on her. I'm just, listen, you understood what I said. Who cares, right? Like why you got to correct me? Like we are, we are on the same page. And so, but again, a lot of us struggle with grammar. There's some of you, and this one I don't, I don't understand, there's some of you who still, to this day, you're a middle-aged person, and you still don't know the difference between there, there, and there. <laughs> like, you just like, whatever there I feel like using today, I'm going to throw it out there. And it's like, that's the wrong there. Like, 
And, and I'll tell you what, like that is the sickest burn online. If someone's ever having an online argument with you and they use the wrong there, oh, atomic weapon, the game is over, you won. All you gotta do, right, is hit the right there, put that little asterisk, everybody's like, yeah, you got them, the conversation's over. Like you corrected their grammar and so you win. But you know, there's all types of aspects of grammar. You have adverbs and pronouns and tenses and syntax and conjunction. Remember conjunction? How many of you learned conjunction through Schoolhouse Rock? Any of my Schoolhouse Rock people, right? Conjunction, junction. See, TV worked. Everybody blamed us about watching too much TV, but to this day, you still remember it. Um, and so, you know, we have all the, I might do Wednesday, by the way, conjunction, so keep paying attention. Um, but today specifically, I want to talk to you about the bedrock of English grammar. One of the first things you learn, I want to talk to you about nouns. For those of you who don't know, or maybe English is not your first language and you're figuring some of this out, a noun is very simple. A noun is used to identify a, say it with me, person, place, or thing. It's used to identify a person, place, or thing. I will submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ is a noun. But he is not a person, place, or thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is a person, place, and thing. Jesus Christ is a person, place, and thing. And allow me to unpack this before you call me a heretic. Listen to what I'm saying. Now, just to clarify, the name Jesus, that's his earthly name. That's the name that was given to him that the angel Gabriel told Mary, you shall name him Jesus. Christ is not his last name, okay? And so if you're new to church, it's not Jesus Christ like Joey Silva. Christ is his divine title, right? The Greek term for anointed one or chosen one. In other words, Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one who came to fulfill scripture and save the world from sin and death. It's what we were just singing about. It's what we were remembering with communion is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the Christ. And I believe Jesus Christ is a noun, a person, place, and thing. Well, why do I get that? Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 20. It says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds the all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood, on the cross. Let me unpack this a little bit for you because it's important to understand these different characteristics of Jesus. It's important to, to recognize how it is that he is a person, place, and thing. And if you're taking notes, the first one obviously is the fact that Jesus Christ is a person. Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a vibe. He is not uh, some existential weird kind of mist that floats around in the room. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. 
We have to believe this is critical to the Christian faith. This is what separates our faith from all other faiths because no other faith would lower God to the standard of a man and still worship him. See, this is almost an offense. This was even an offense to the Jews of Jesus' time. So when Jesus was standing before them declaring himself, they had a hard time believing it because how could God be a carpenter? How can God come from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? And so they they have this hard time reconciling. Wait, wait, wait. This person with sandals who cries and walks and I assume uses the bathroom and and, and goes through. How, How is this God? And I think it's a struggle for a lot of people today. So they will argue, well, Jesus, we believe he's a historical figure. We believe there's enough evidence to prove that he maybe existed. Uh, You know, the Jewish culture, the Muslim faith, they they all believe that Jesus was a man of God or a prophet of God, and and they, they acknowledge his existence. What differentiates them all from us is that we believe he is who he says he is. We believe he is God in the flesh. It's like C.S. Lewis said, either God is exactly who he said he is, or he is a raving lunatic, right? Because he can't be both. And so this is the separation, and this is key for you and I to understand that Jesus is a person and still is a person. Because when he resurrected from the dead, he got back to life. He didn't die again. He didn't go back to any other kind of form. He stayed in the flesh. And so listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, because this is why Jesus needed to be a man. This is why he needed to come on earth and embrace humanity and be a person because a lot of us can struggle with this idea. Well, well, why would God lower himself to that standard? Well, Hebrews explains it. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17 through 18 says, therefore it was necessary. This wasn't kind of a maybe yes, maybe no, no. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sin of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So there's a few factors here that that make it critical for Jesus to have come in the flesh. Number one, he needed to be an, an appropriate sacrifice. He needed to be an appropriate sacrifice. How could he take our place and not get in our place, right? So if he took our place on the cross where we, the Bible is clear, because of sin in our life, we all deserve death. And so Jesus took our place on the cross and he died for you and I, but he needed to be in our humanity in order to take our place. He needed to be at that same level. And so we couldn't have had an appropriate sacrifice if we didn't have an appropriate Jesus. And so Jesus had to come in the flesh. The other part is, Jesus needed to be in the flesh so that we can relate to him, so that we can understand him and so he can continue to understand us. Like there is a a greater grip and trust in Jesus because we recognize that he suffered all the same things you and I have suffered. Listen, Jesus, he probably had calluses on his feet. I mean, there was no skinny disciple, right? They walked everywhere. I went to Jerusalem this year. It's a hilly country. It's a lot of walking. Jesus' feet hurt. The Bible tells us all types of things. Jesus was weary from his travel and he sat down near a woman at a well to get a drink of water. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He, he needed to rest. He needed sleep, right? Falling asleep on a boat during the midst of a storm. 
Like he had all the same necessities and needs and frailties that you and I had, yet he did not sin. And so while he is 100% man, he was still 100% God, and he gave us the greatest example of how to live this earthly life, which he could not do if he did not live an earthly life. And so Jesus came to be the ultimate example to us so that none of us have an excuse. Well, you know, I'm just a human. So was Jesus. And he pulled it off. Yeah, but he was also fully God. Yes, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit now flows through you. So I'm not saying you're fully God, but you got a fully God in you. One who is able to lead you and help you. And the Bible is clear. We have everything we need to live the Christian life that God has called us to because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. This is something that's critical to our walk with God. So that in those moments where we're hurting, when we're struggling, as the scriptures say, we don't have some high and lofty priest that doesn't get us. We have a representative who has experienced all the same things you and I have experienced, and yet he did not sin. Listen, sometimes when you're going through it, you got to talk to somebody who gets it, right? I, no offense to you if you don't have kids, but when I have issues with my kids, I'm talking to another parent because you get it. And again, I, 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 when I didn't have kids, I'm like, I don't know what the big deal is. And then I had kids, I was like, oh, I see what the big deal is. <laughs> there are just some things that you gotta hear from somebody who can actually relate to you. And that's not to dismiss everybody else, but everybody else is living in theory. I need somebody who's living in the practicality of it. And so when I talk to Jesus, I don't feel like I'm talking to some, you know, holy, far off entity who doesn't understand me, doesn't get me, has never been like, okay, God, why, why would you even care about me? But when I understand that Jesus is a person, that he lived this life, that he walked this earth, that when I was huffing and puffing up the hills of Jerusalem and angry at my tour guide because we kept walking the Via de la Rosa and I'm like, homie, I'm not Catholic. I don't know why we're walking this. Get me back on the bus. <laughs> I'm like, man, well, Jesus walked these steps. <laughs> it's easier to understand things in your life, especially when they go difficult when you understand that Jesus walked the same walk that we're walking today. Does that make sense? So not only is Jesus a person, but Jesus is a place. Now this might be a little bit more, you know, out there for you, but let me explain what I mean. See, the Bible tells us that we are in Christ, right? Not next to Christ, but we are in Christ, right? Meaning there is a place in Christ that we need to be in. And there's a couple of things when I think about being in Jesus that I think is important. When, when I need to go to Jesus, I need to go to the place where Jesus is. Here's a few thoughts that I had for you. Number one is this, Jesus is my place of rest. How is he a place? Well, he's who I go to when I need rest. He's my place of rest. Well, when I need, when my soul is weary, when I'm tired, when I'm annoyed with my family, with you. Yeah, I get annoyed with you too. Just like you get annoyed with me sometimes. It happens. We still love each other, but I need Jesus to give me rest so that, you know, I don't go off on you. I don't go off on my wife. I don't go off on my children. How many know, like, when you're tired, oh, my gosh, my kids, when they're tired, I mean, there's a little bit of forgiveness. Your parents always say that, too, when, you're, when their kids act out of pocket, especially in public. They're just tired. <laughs> but, like, they woke up 10 minutes ago. They're just still tired. <laughs> but how many know when we're tired... We lose control sometimes. When we're tired, we do things we don't want to do. We say things we don't want to say. We act ways we don't want to act. And it's not always a sleepy tired. It's just a weariness tired. Well, listen, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, this place, all of you who are weary 
and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. When you need rest, where's the place to go? Jesus. And not just rest, because it's not just about laying down and, and catching your breath, but sometimes I need more than rest. Sometimes I, I need revival. I need, I need to be able to get back up, man. I need to be able to go back after it. So not only is Jesus my place of rest, but Jesus is my place of revival. Listen, John chapter seven, verse 37 and 38 says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. And I, uh, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. There are times where my soul is thirsty and I need to be revived. And nothing else is gonna quench my thirst the way the Jesus is gonna quench my thirst. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me and I will give you living water, right? I will allow it to flow from you. Listen, there are times where I need to go to a place of revival where I've been pouring out so much, and a lot of you get this, right? We've been pouring out so much. We've been giving so much of ourselves that we never allow God to pour into us. We don't go to the place of revival. Listen, I've never really believed in spiritual burnout. I believe in being spiritually tired. I believe in being spiritually exhausted. But to me, burnout is when you pour out more than you've allowed God to pour in. So a pot only burns when it's already gone through all the liquid inside of it. So if I'm boiling water, as long as I keep putting water in it, that pot's not gonna burn. But if I let all that water evaporate and there's nothing left, then you're gonna see the bottom of the pot begin to burn. A lot of you, you're not spiritually burnt out in that, well, pastor, I've been serving too much, I gotta just quit ministry. No, 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 it's not that you gotta quit ministry, it's that you gotta allow God to minister to you. And you haven't, you've been so busy doing the work of the Lord that you forgot the Lord of the work and you don't allow God to pour into you and so now you're tired. Yes, that makes sense. So what do I gotta do? You gotta go to the place of revival. There are times where I've talked to people on my teams and I've said, you know what? Oh, Pastor, I just, you know, this is, I've, been, I've been so overwhelmed. Okay, you scheduled an hour to meet with me right now, right? Yeah, awesome. Why don't you go into the sanctuary, talk to Jesus? What am I gonna say that he can't say better? Go talk to him for an hour and then come back. If you still need to talk, we'll talk. 99.9% .9 of the time, they come back in the room. I'm like, how you feel? They're like, I'm good now. You need to talk? No, I got it. Why? Because you went to the place of revival, not the place of advice. I can give you advice, but I'm not living water. And so we gotta learn to go to that well. We gotta learn to, to go to that place. And so a lot of times we go to all different kinds of places, but not the places that we need. Listen, if I need gas in my car, there's only one place I can go, the gas station. So if I go to your house and I'm like, man, I'm struggling, I need gas, you're gonna look at me like, what, what do you, I'm not a sheik with the whole thing in my backyard, like, what do you want from me? No, there's, there's only one place you can go when your soul is weary, and that's a place of revival. So Jesus is a person, Jesus is a place, and Jesus is a thing. Now this is where, again, I don't want you to misunderstand me, I don't want you to write me letters and get mad, like what do you mean he's a thing? Because a lot of times people, they, they interpret God like some weird kind of thing, some entity. How can Jesus be a thing? Well, I don't think Jesus is a thing, I think Jesus is everything. 
Jesus is everything you need. See, when you say now, person, place, thing, I always struggle with that. I was like, what do you mean thing? That's just so all-encompassing. That's like everything. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Jesus is everything. What do I mean? Everything you need is found in Jesus. Everything you desire can be found in Jesus. Everything you yearn for, everything you cry for, everything your soul needs is found in Jesus. Everything we need in life, everything we need to do this thing called life that God intended for us, everything we need to be saved and delivered, all of that, everything is found in Jesus. Why? Because he is everything. Listen, John chapter eight, verse 58 through 59, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Let's focus on grammar again. Just leave that up there for me. Because those of you who are, you know, grammar police, you understand that I am is incorrect, at least in the English language, right? Because what's wrong with that? It's supposed to be a lowercase a and m. But to the Jew who was hearing Jesus say this, they clearly understood what he was saying. That is the divine title. That is the title that was given to Moses when Moses was being told to go take the Israelites out of Egypt and he's talking to the burning bush and he's telling God, like, who should I say sent me? They're gonna ask, like, on whose authority am I walking in there? Whom shall I say sent me? And the Lord said, tell him I am that I am sent you. I am is the divine title. This was so understood that if we go on, it says, uh, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Jesus was making a claim right there. He's not just saying, hey, before Abraham was, I existed. Because then they just be like, well, you're just kind of a crazy person to think you've been alive that long. But he was making an even greater statement. He was saying, no, no, not only did I exist before Abraham, but I am God. And they got them so upset, the blasphemy of his statement, that they literally, men of God apparently, picked up stones to kill Jesus. This is a great indicator, because a lot of people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. They said it a lot, (laughs) okay? And in this moment, he makes this incredible claim to a title that was reserved to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, I am who I am. You know what I've always loved about that statement, I am, is that it leaves room for anything you need. I need this, I am that. I need that, I am that. Whatever you need, I am that. Whatever situation occurs, I am the one who can help you. I am your counselor, I am your helper, and in trouble, I am everything you need. As a matter of fact, In the book of John, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes just in that one book. We don't have time to explore each one in detail. That's another series for another day. But just look at some of the seven as I kind of rattle them off. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Right? John chapter 6, verse 35, 41, 48, 51. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7 and 9. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11, 14. I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And I am the true vine, John 15, 1. Listen, a vine, truth, a, a resurrection, life, door, light. You know what those all are? Things. Those are all things. What is Jesus saying? I am that thing. I am that thing. I am the light of the world, meaning you don't have to stumble around in darkness because I'm gonna shine my light. I am the bread of life, meaning I will be your greatest satisfaction. Man cannot live on bread alone. 
I will be your greatest satisfaction. I am the door of the sheep, meaning no one can come to the Father if not through me. I am your source of that. I am the good shepherd, meaning I take care of you. I look after you. I guide you and I guard you. I am the resurrection and the life, meaning that, again, we don't have salvation if not for Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are in a society where everybody's arguing their relative truth, and Jesus is saying only one truth, and I am he. We are in this situation when he says, I am the true vine, meaning we are grafted into that vine. We don't have any right to be considered sons and daughters of God. By God. Listen, we get this confused all the time in the world because you hear the statement, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. The Bible is very clear. There is a distinction. There are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. And the difference is those who have been grafted into the true vine of Jesus have the honor of being considered the sons and daughters of the Most High. There is a vast difference. And none of those things are possible without Jesus Christ. Like if we don't recognize that, we're going to struggle in this life a lot. Because what happens is when we don't recognize that Jesus is not just everything, but he is the only thing, then we end up going to other things. And other things are never going to satisfy you. They may placate you. They may, for a moment, bring you some pleasure, but it will never satisfy. Because that other thing is not the only thing, is not everything. It's just another thing. So we have to be careful. We have to recognize who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus is a person. Number two, Jesus is a place. Number three, Jesus is a thing. Worship team, if you can help me out. So if Jesus Christ is a noun, then I need you to recognize something, that the word Christian is also a noun. Right? Christ, like I said earlier, isn't Jesus' last name, it's his title. His name is Jesus, but his title is Christ. In the same vein, my name is Joey, but my divine title is Christian, which means little Christ. I'm not saying I am the divine, but what I am saying is as a Christian, I am a representative of the divine. We represent Jesus by carrying the title Christian. I like to think of it like this, you know, that movie, I guess Barbie came out and made a bunch of money because they had really good commercials, but I heard the movie was bad. <laughs> but here's the reality. We are, I'm going I'm to say action figures because I'm a man. We are Jesus Christ action figures. We're replicas. We're not the real thing, but we're made to look like the real thing. We're made to act like the real thing. We're made to be so that when someone sees us, they think of Jesus. The problem is, some of us look like those really broke Taiwan action figures. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, is that supposed to be Jesus? It looks like Sting from WWE. Like, like we, we have these issues where we're, we're meant to look like Jesus, but we look like poor knockoffs. Well, we're meant to represent Jesus because we walk around because the label on our box says Christian, but when I look in the box, I'm like, that don't look like Christian. That doesn't look like what Jesus is supposed to look like. So when people look at you, they're supposed to see Jesus. Listen, even the term Christian, how many know that's not a term that believers gave themselves? Right? Like my sister said, they they refer to themselves as people of the way. What's the way? Jesus. 
But then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 25 to 26, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back uh, to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a, uh, a full year, teaching large, large crowds of people. And listen to this. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. By who? By everybody else. So when they were referred, well, who's that group of people? It's those, you know, the, the Christ people, the Christians, the little Christ. You know, if the world is the one who gave us that title because of what they see, maybe it's accurate to say that the world can stop calling us that because of what they see. You're a Christian? I thought Christians don't drink. You're a Christian? I thought Christians didn't talk like that. Wait, wait, you're a Christian? I thought Christians were supposed to be loving. The problem today is that when unbelievers see Christians, they don't think of Jesus Christ, the noun anymore. And I think that's because we've added an adjective in front of the noun. And this is where it gets dangerous. For those of you who struggle with grammar, an adjective is a modifier. Adjectives modify what a noun is. It changes what a noun is. So I can say, hey, he was wearing a shirt and you think of a shirt. But then if I say it's a sleeveless shirt, it changes the picture in your mind. If I say she wore a sweater, then you just think of a sweater. But if I say she wore an ugly sweater, then it changes the picture in your mind. If I say uh, there, were the, there was a dog walking down the street, you would think of a cute little puppy. When I say there's an angry dog walking down the street, you think of something different. Because an adjective changes a noun. So when we add certain adjectives to the noun Christian, it modifies what that word means now. And this is what's become confusing to the world because none of us in this room have a right to change what Christian means. You and I don't get to define that. The Bible has already defined that. So Christian is Christian, that's it. It doesn't need an adjective, it doesn't need a modifier, it doesn't need anything to dress it up. And so there is no such thing as a white Christian or a black Christian or a Hispanic Christian. That modifies it. No, the Bible tells me that there's no longer uh, male or female, Greek or, Gent you know, or Jew. It's all gone in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. You can't have a gay Christian because that modified Christian. No, no, you are either a Christian and you follow everything that scriptures say or you're not. You can't just add something to it so that you can placate it to how it makes you feel better. You can't be a conservative Christian or a liberal Christian. That's not in the Bible. There is no such thing as Republican Christians or Democrat Christians. I remember as a kid, somebody telling me, listen, I'm in Chicago, baby. I just thought we were all Democrats. Like, this is the reality that I lived in. That's what my dad always told me. So I remember one time in a church circle, somebody said, no, Christians are Republicans. And I'm like, Christians are what? And it's not because I didn't believe that. It's because I never associated my Christianity with my politics. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't care about either side because neither one, Republican or Democrat, ever died for my salvation. Like, I could care less. I'm sorry. Like, that just, that just don't make sense to me. But church, we gotta stop putting adjectives in front of our noun. We gotta stop modifying and, and changing and shifting Christianity to fit our narrative better. No, just be a Christian. Just represent Christ. We must simply... Be Christians. 
because the world is desperate for us to be that now. See, as Christians, we need to be persons chosen by God as an example of his redeeming grace. Listen, I don't know why God chose such imperfect people to be ambassadors and representatives and deliverers of the gospel. But that's the method he chose. I mean, in my thought, maybe it's like, hey, it would have been better if you sent an angel. And people say that, right? Like, well, you know, if an angel came and told me, then I would believe. I don't know about that. It's the same kind of people that are like, well, if I had superpowers and I could fly, I would fly. I'm like, you can walk and you don't do that. Why would you fly? <laughs> like, it probably takes energy to do that. <laughs> hey, and, and so we get into this narrative and we get into this idea that, that I can just be whoever I want. No, 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 no. You call yourself a Christian, you gotta be the person that a Christian represents. Because the world is looking for you. They want Jesus, but they're gonna find you. And when they find you, then they can get to Jesus. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the representatives of Jesus, right? We are the salt and earth. Like we are who God has called us to be. But are you being the person that Jesus called you to be? Or are you a modified Christian? Are you an updated Christian? A modern Christian? No. I'm the same believer. I'm a walker of the way. I am a Christian. It's just who I am. And even like when you get in battle with other Christians, or you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Do you believe in women? Do you this? I'm like, listen, guys, we can argue theological semantics all day long, but I'm gonna focus on the cross for right now. Even like, I'm not gonna get too into the weeds, but you know, wherever you land on like the once saved, always saved, for me, it was always just a moot point. I don't plan to walk away from Jesus. So it's like not a big deal to me. The only thing, reason that would be a big deal to me is if I like intentionally plan to just live a worldly life and have the security of knowing I'm still going to heaven. But because I don't, it's not a big thing to me. That's like, it's like planning a whole year on in case my wife cheats on me. I ain't planning for her to cheat on me. Like I'm not going to live my life planning for something that I don't think is going to happen. And she's watching right now. She knows that. I love you, babe. We have to be persons of the way. We have to be a noun. We have to be a place. A place that people can come to and encounter Jesus. You know why we're a place? Because the church is not a building, it's us. We are the place that people go to. When people say, I need to go to church, they're not talking about 6050 West Belmont. They're talking about, I need to go to you. I need to go to you. You know, you hear unbelieving people all the time, I know I'm not doing it, I just, I gotta get back to church. You know what they really mean? They don't know they mean this, but this is what they really mean. I gotta get back to my community. I gotta get back to the body of Christ. I gotta get back to the church. I need the support and love and care. I need a place where I feel safe. I need a place where I'm encouraged. I need a place where I'm lifted up. I need a place where I'm rebuked. I need a place where people will carry me and love on me. That's the church, we're the place. We gotta be persons, we gotta be places. We gotta be things. What kind of things? There's two things I can think of right off the bat. Scripture tells us we are the light of the world. We gotta shine, right? You don't light a candle and put it under a bowl. We are the light of the world. Meaning we can't be embarrassed to be Christians publicly. We can't be embarrassed to pray in our works and in our schools. It always makes me laugh, especially with schools. They're like, oh, they took prayer out of school. No, they didn't. Who said they took prayer out of school? Are there Christians in the school? 
are young people full of the Holy Spirit, then they didn't take prayer out of school. Because they're right there walking those hallways. See, when we pray for our schools this month and next week we honor our teachers and we go to some of these schools, we're going to pray over those schools. And guess what? I don't got to be in the building to pray. <laughs> you can stop my words. You can stop me from walking in, but you can't stop my prayers. We got to be people who do things. We are the light of the world. What else? We're the salt of the earth. But what does scripture say? If a salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Just throw it out where it'll be trampled. Guys, we're supposed to be salt. What's salt? Salt is preserving. Salt is enhancing. Salt is attractive. We have to be salt. We have to be something that is so inviting and loving that people want to be a part of this thing. We have to be persons. We have to be places. We have to be things. We have to be a noun. What's the noun? We have to be Christians. So listen to me, church. If you carry that title, live up to it. If you call yourself a Christian, live like a Christian. Does that mean perfect? No, but it means striving towards perfection. What did Paul say? Not that I've already attained it, but one thing I do, forget about what's behind me and strive to the goal that's been laid out for me in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what we have to do. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of nouns out there that don't yet call themselves Christians. People that are desperate, even if they don't know it, to find that person, place, or thing in Jesus. And the only way they find it in Jesus is if they can find it in us first. Obviously, there's other ways, but this is the main way that God has chosen. To use imperfect people like you and I, the foolish things of this world, to confound the wise. But how can we do that when we allow adjectives to modify us or when we fail to live up to the standard that God has set for all the nouns in this world? So I'm going to ask you to stand, church, as we get ready to pray. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And I want to encourage you. This is the kind of sermon that it doesn't matter how many people come to the altar. What matters is what you do when we get into that parking lot. Because we can get a lot of hoopla in here. But like I told the church on Wednesday, that's like, that's like having a big old huddle in a basketball game, drawing up this really cool play. Timeout's over and everybody goes back and sits on the bench. Guys, I gave you the play. But now we got to go run it. Now we got to go be it. Now we got to go live it. The proof is not in what happens five minutes at the end of service. It's what happens the rest of your life. So I want to pray that God would help us. Because his noun is what gives us our noun. So why don't you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I pray over every individual in this room, God. Everyone who professes to claim the title of Christian. And God, I'm sure there are some of us in this room who after hearing a message like this, may even think to themselves, even for a moment, well, maybe I shouldn't have the title of Christian. Maybe I shouldn't tell people I'm a Christian because I'm, I'm, I'm being a hypocrite and I'm not living up to the standard. But God, I pray that we choose not to be hypocrites, not by quitting, but by embracing, but by being who you've called us to be. And so God, I pray, help us to be the type of persons that love you, 
that, that walk in an emulation of you, God, that represent you in such a powerful and tangible way that people recognize us in you, God. That they see there's something different about you. There's, there's, why don't you do this and why don't you act like that? Why are you so happy? God, I pray that they would see us and then see you. And God, I pray as a church, let us be a place of refuge. Let us be a place of revival. Let us be a place of rest. Let us be a place of encouragement. Let us be a place that builds up disciples. God, let us be a place of your honor and your glory. And God, I pray that we would be all the things that you have called us to be, God. Not what we used to be, but what you've called us to be, Lord. Let us be a wonderful representative of you, God. An action figure that's literally in action. Doing the work you have called us to do and the way you have called us to do it. So Lord, I pray, help us, God, to be all that you've called us to be and represent you in every way you've called us to represent you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Come on, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise?